Today's scripture reading comes from two passages, the first of which is Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 11. That will be followed by Psalm 13. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took, it, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then Psalm chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep and lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. When I, um, it's good to be back. We had a wonderful time away, but uh, always nice coming back as well. And we missed most of the smoke, which is just, it has a different kind of oppressiveness, hey? Um, when I left Sutherland uh, years ago and went to, so this says December 28th, 2001 on it. Um, and when I left Sutherland and went to St. Andrew St. Stephen's, and it was a real time of blessing. And in fact, just this week, I was spending some time again with people from SAS. And so I, I've been very grateful how God has guided. But when I left, uh, my wife, Jen, gave me this as a gift. 
um, when we went from Sutherland to St. Andrew St. Stephen's, it says on the back, to commemorate your move to SASSPC. That means St. Andrew's and St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church. You had to say that when you answered the phone. It took a while. Um, but it's a little Simpsons, you know, the show The Simpsons. And this is Reverend Lovejoy, which John Negrin sometimes calls me Reverend Lovejoy. Um, and interestingly enough, this church looks about like a Presbyterian church. Um, I think that's probably what it's modeled on. But the reverend says things. It used to, Homer and Marg, and they used to say stuff as well, but it's kind of broken. And thankfully, it's the Holy Spirit, right? The only thing that works is still the reverend. So, and he says a number of things. If you press the button, maybe you can hear. Be afraid also, tremendously afraid, for the day of reckoning is upon us. Did you hear that? Okay, it said, be afraid, tremendously afraid, because the day of reckoning is upon us. Uh, that one says, my coat was stolen at last week's interfaith banquet. I think this is the one I'm looking for here. Next. Ready? While we're waiting, no. why don't I read from the Sunday bulletin? Oh, that one says, while we're waiting, why don't I read from the Sunday bulletin? Because the screen wasn't working or something, so he was reading from the bulletin. Please, Christians, don't push. Uh, that just... It's all oh. over, people. We don't have a prayer. So that one, he says, it's all over, people. We don't have a prayer. Um, which is not really what you want the reverend saying. I can't remember the context of the show that time. But I thought of it when we thought of the introduction to the series that we're going to be doing on prayer through the fall. Because when he says we don't have a prayer, I've got the question in my mind. Well, the question came first. Uh, what does it mean to be prayerless? And as James mentioned briefly, and we'll do another sign-up at the end of the service uh, one of the reasons for this new series is that we want to, as a congregation, invite one another to pray. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm already praying each day. That's great. Keep doing that. And we'll just add a component or two. One is that you'll get kind of a little guide each week, just a brief, less than a page, saying, could you please pray in this way about these things, and some encouragement. And the other element that we're going to add is that within the next few weeks or month, to try to get people together in groups of three, in triads, and have you meet once a week or so to pray together. Uh, we're going to be asking questions about the church, the future for Sutherland, and also we want you to be able to pray for one another. So if I ask this question, do we have a prayer, how would you answer that? I mean, right away you could think, well, that sounds like this, kind of apocalyptic. We don't have a prayer, it's all over. But there are other ways to answer it. Not just do we have hope, but do you have a prayer in your life? Are you prayerful? For those who are Christians, and you could add different kind of spiritual considerations to this, but you would want to consider, uh, do you generally fear, feel prayerful, or is prayer something that is just not part of your regular routine? Do you have days where you don't pray at all? It's interesting to think that as Christians we could have those kinds of days. Or is prayer kind of something that is ongoing? Pray without ceasing, or as First Thessalonians puts it, it says, rejoice always, pray continually. Rejoice always and pray continually, adding that this is God's will for us. If you just took that, you don't need a sermon now, I can go and sit down. Here's what you need to know today. I need to hear this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. This is the word of the Lord. Does prayer matter? 
I'm interested that even in popular culture, this is on, why are we not on and tested? No. See what happens? While we're waiting, why don't I read from the Sunday Bulletin? Um, There we go. I'm interested that in popular culture, there are still, in a culture that we would not consider very religious, uh, there are still, well, in certain ways, but there are still these references to calling out to God. I'm going to quote a couple, or I have them up there, that are not recent. I'm old, so I have old songs in my head. But actually, even when I listen to um, current, even hip-hop and stuff, who's the, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is a big hip-hop artist right now. And half of his songs include a line saying, who's going to pray for me? There's this calling out for prayerfulness or for prayer, even in our current culture. One of the lines that sticks in my head in a song in my formative years, a U2 song called If God Would Send His Angels, Bono sings, God has got his phone off the hook. Adds the word babe there, but anyway. God has got his phone off the hook, babe. Would he even pick up if he could? And I remember, I, I like that song. It's a great song. It actually has good Jesus imagery in it. Jesus as uh, someone in this kind of broken down city. Um, it's, it, it also includes the line, well, he talks about how um, he used to be, be into Jesus, but then when he got into show business, he wasn't as interesting anymore. But when I listened to that song years ago when I was a youth minister, I remember reading a a youth magazine, like something that was intended for Christian young people, and it had reviews in it, so this was like Christian subculture stuff, and the, it might have been focused on the family or something, and the reviewer said, what a terrible thing to say, that God has got his phone off the hook. Don't listen to this kind of stuff. This is bad. This is secular. And I remember thinking, well, I love that song, and I'm going to keep listening to it. And then I read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And I thought, what would the reviewer say about that song? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's such a beautiful, rough, difficult prayer that I'm sure many of you can identify with. And its power comes from the last word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Another song in my head when I think of this prayer or prayerlessness is by Dave Matthews. And in this, it's, this is a, a common thing in popular culture, kind of a person who is feeling tremendous amount of strain or stress or meaninglessness. In this case, it says, She says, I pray, but my prayers, they all fall on deaf ears. I pray to God most every night, but I'm quite sure he doesn't listen. This is a human feeling, human condition. Some people, many people, might say, well, why would you pray? Do you, I don't know if you feel that, um, if you said to people that you work with, people that you live among that don't participate in a religious community, if you talk to them about praying, how might they respond? I think many would probably not, you know, get upset or think you're crazy. But if you were to ask some people, they would say, well, prayer is a form of psychosis. If you think you're talking to the creator of the universe, something's wrong with you. And so that's one perspective. The idea that you can talk to God and hear from God. We have to acknowledge in this culture at this time, the idea that we could talk to God and hear from God sounds kind of crazy. 
I, I'm okay with that, and yet I pray. And I would say that I discover my humanity in prayer, in this interaction with God. And even in this culture, the most popular course in the history of Yale University, which is 300 and something years old now, 300 and something years old, and it's Yale. I mean, it's one of the biggies. The most popular course ever is taking place right now. It's been repeatedly offered. Psychology 157, Psychology and the Good Life. There's been a lot of examination as, as to why this would be the most popular course. 25% of the student body at Yale is deciding, deciding to take this elective course. And most of the consideration is cultural. Why would students want to take this? And what they've discovered is that these students who are driven, these would be people who got into Yale, are largely desperately struggling emotionally, mentally, in terms of vocation and meaning. And so somebody offers a course that's apparently well-taught and interesting, psychology and the good life, and they take up practices in there like gratitude journals, Now, how do you interact with that with your faith when somebody says, you know what you should do? Now, this has nothing religious to it at all. This is in secular practices throughout our community. You should keep a gratitude journal because you're feeling terrible a lot of the time. So every day, write down seven things you're thankful for. Of course, as a Christian, my ear goes, "Uh, first of all, by the way, I support that. I'm not speaking against it in any way. I'm not saying they're, they're kind of misjudging this. No, I think it's good that people are doing that. And they don't have to believe what I believe to do it, okay? But as a Christian, my response is, if you're doing a gratitude journal, seven things you're grateful for each day, who are you expressing the gratitude to? In many cases, it can be, well, this person did a nice thing for me, so I'm thankful to them. But the biggest things are, I'm thankful for my life. I'm thankful for this place in which I live. So there is this... I'm mentioning this because I believe there is, and I think you can see it, there is almost this longing, even if people wouldn't identify it as such, for something like prayer. The the way that I would ask it of myself, is this longing only imminent? What I mean by imminent is you're here today. That means like here now, imminent. So you think of imminent as coming soon. That event is imminent. But really what the word means is like right now this is here. This is imminent, and God is transcendent. Those are the two words that relate to each other. So is gratitude only imminent, or is it transcendent, and where does it get its power from? In other words, as I am grateful for these imminent things in my life, the power of feeling that gratitude comes from recognizing the transcendent. Dear God, thank you. So I think to myself, if you didn't have a sense of the transcendent, how, what would your gratitude look like? Simone Weil, Jewish writer and thinker, has put it this way. One of my favorite quotes. got two of my favorite quotes in today's sermon. One is short and one is long. This is the short one. She says, Attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It presupposes faith and love. What she means is, And she would say particularly something that's living. If you pay attention to anything or anyone for a period of time, that might just turn to prayer. 
Now, in a culture that is filled with distraction, this becomes a problem, right? Where right away I can just pick this up at any time and start reading whatever. Distraction. So there is this longing for something like prayer. We could say there may be a longing for attentiveness even though our culture works against it. Two quotes from my favorite theologian. These, well, anyway, one he says, the Bible tells us not how we should talk with God. He's not actually entirely right there. The Bible does tell us a good deal about how we should talk with God, but he means to make the bigger point. The Bible tells us not how we should talk with God, but what God says to us. Now when I'm grateful for something, for someone, I'm listening. There is this longing for prayer and attentiveness, and the question, is there anything transcendent or anyone that has something to say to me? Because if not, all I have is this. So my question to you, do you feel prayerless? Have before in your life you felt prayerless? Like, you're not walking around praying continually. What would it be like for you? We have to do this if we're going to sign up for 100 days of prayer and pray together. What would it be like for you to be more prayerful? How could I preach a sermon if I'm not praying while I'm preaching? I guess only if I thought I had things to tell you. Here's these things I know that you need to know. And that's how much of the world operates. But as I say, what would it, like, what would it look like for you to be more prayerful? I'm of course asking myself, what might change for you if you were more prayerful? How might you feel different? Do you know for me, just about every time I bring my anxieties before God, it can happen in church service. Praying while... In this service today, I was praying. And God lays in my mind, I believe, in the power of the Holy Spirit. This question of what it means to hang on to things. And this reminder, Todd, trusting in me, you let go of everything. But then, quick on the heels of that, a reminder of his goodness. That's where your life comes from. Trying to hang on to things is what's preventing you from seeing my goodness. How might you feel different if you were more prayerful? Is it possible that you or others might not care if you don't have a prayer? I mean, for me, I can definitely go through a day without prayer. I think, I think thankfully, it's likely rare but I certainly can get caught up in myself and my struggles and whatever responsibilities and tasks and leisure, whatever else, and not pray or not be prayerful. But for me, there's something that would wake me up in that time. Some of it is upbringing, some of it is you, some of it's my job, whatever, or some crisis. Something wakes me up and makes me realize I'm a lot better if I'm prayerful. 
Lord God, would you make me prayerful? Do you care if you don't have a prayer? I mean, if you could just make your life work out well and get things to work and your family to be all right and all those things you have concerns about, if you could get that all sorted out but not have a prayer, would you be okay? See, this is the confusion. We think that prayer is so that we can do those things. It might be that even without all those things sorted out, if you had a prayer, you could feel altogether different. This is some of the secret of life, I think. People that I've known who have faced tremendous suffering but still seem to have a foundational strength. Where do we see prayerlessness in the Bible? Well, that's why Keith read Genesis 3. This is perhaps the first place we see prayerlessness, the first big one. Because Adam and Eve, when they sin, then what happens? Their communication with God is cut off, but not by God. By their own shame. We heard you, but we were ashamed and afraid. It's a, it's a strong picture of prayerlessness, and you need to translate it to your own life. And this would be maybe difficult for you. I don't know. It doesn't matter particularly. But of course, you could translate it by saying, Lord God, help me to see the sin in my own life that makes me prayerless. My response to the sin. It's not actually the sin. It's your response. Help me to see where I become so self-centered that I don't pray. It's not God's judgment to us. It's our own sense that, well, I guess what I've done is I've chosen to live life on my own terms. So you can see how Adam and Eve have done that. I guess what I've done is I've chosen to live life on my own terms. So now this prayerlessness. But what happens without prayer? We're about to get to the big quote that I want you to wrestle with intellectually. Okay, so you ready? Kind of stretch and get ready for a little bit of... You know? No, I like to go to church where I don't have to think about things too much. Okay. Um, I warned you. There'll be big words. But I have a high esteem of you. I think you can handle it. What happens without prayer? The Christian answer to what happens without prayer is that we begin to lose sense of our humanity. How can you hate other people? You hate other people by failing to see their humanity. You categorize them. And we would say in in true Christian faith that this happens because we fail to see that we are and they are made in the image of God. In other words, our humanity comes from this interaction with God. Our humanity comes not merely from the imminent and our achievements, But much more so, our humanity comes from the transcendent. We are made in God's image. And so no matter how many things I pile up around myself, no matter how successful I am, and even though I know that most people will judge me by the things in my life that they think I want to be successful at. Well, Todd has done well here, not well here, whatever. 
all the imminent things. That's not a secret to me. But that's not where I discover my humanity. My humanity is discovered in this relationship with God, in knowing Jesus Christ who gave himself for the world, even for me. Which then enables me to say, Lord God, what would you have me do? And the earthly measurements fade somewhat, sometimes to people's, people get upset about that. What happens without prayer? Well, we lose our humanity. That's, I think, why a course like Psych 157 at Yale uh, is popular, because at least it's pointing towards some kind of humanity, (laughs) rather than that which is killing them at Yale, only being measured by what you can accomplish. What kind of job will you have when you leave here? How much money will you make? And finally somebody has said, maybe we should talk about how you actually feel about your life. So the quote. Our humanity comes from God, from the transcendent, much more than all these things we will ever do or experience. But people aren't telling you that so much, and so you continue to judge your life by these wrong things. Who has good eyes? Can you see that? I'll read it for you and read it again. This is Thomas Merton, who's a Trappist monk, died decades ago. It's astounding to me that this was written decades ago. I have this idealistic vision of the 50s and 60s, like they weren't self-centered times, like now we're so self-centered and we weren't back then. Well, Merton kind of says, no, they're self-centered back then too. Here we go. He says, all sin starts from the assumption that my false self... So, what's the false self? The self not humanity from God, but humanity or personhood from myself. False self, true self. All sin starts from the assumption that my false self, the self that exists only in my egocentric desires, first big word, egocentric, it just means self-centered. The self that exists in kind of figuring out what I want for myself and how I'll feel good is the fundamental reality of life around which everything else in the universe is ordered. That's what he's saying is the wrong way. So all sin starts from the understanding that it's about what I feel, what I want, right? That's how you judge everything in your life. Many things. We even can judge church that way. Which can become hilarious. So this false self around which I order everything else... And then he says, so what I do then, thus I use up my life. I actually spend my life in desire for pleasures and the thirst for experiences. That's why, can I say it now and not to judge you, don't say things like bucket list. You don't need to gather up experiences to have a true life. You need relationship with the living God. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to figure anything out. There's no bucket list. There is, Lord God, help me be alive wherever you would have me. That does not mean there aren't things I want to do. Of course. I would love to ride my bike in Europe. But I don't have a bucket list. I use up my life, actually spending my life in the desire for pleasures and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and feeling loved. And this is what at Yale people are how the whole thing is kind of set up now if we can get this job then we can gather up more and more experiences and we can have some kind of security in this world but the disconnect is the students 
particularly because they're intelligent people, know it's not working. So, the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and feeling loved, in order, and here's where the metaphor is beautiful, in order to clothe this false self. In other words, it's a shell. It's empty. Why is it empty? Because it's prayerless. But because it's empty, I have to take that emptiness and wrap experiences around it like bandages, like a mummy. Clothing this false self and constructing and, and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. And I wind experiences around myself and cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages. And here's my favorite part in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world. In a way, this is a long answer to one of the first questions you ask somebody when you meet them that you shouldn't. What do you do? It helps you just put that first layer of bandage so you can make sense of them. But if you're a Christian, you don't need that question. You might get to it, but you make sense of them in the humanity that God has already blessed them with. It's why things like, you know, what do we think about people who have, you know, you can any, take anything. You can take work. You can take sexual identity. You can take any of this. What should we do about this, people who are supposedly this? It's not the first question. The first question is always what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. I wind experiences around myself and cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world. And he ends, as if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. There, you got a good wordy quote. In Christian faith, well, it's not just in Christian faith. Christians are saying this is true for all of us. But Christian faith tells us that the fundamental reality in my life is not myself, but God. So then the question, when did you stop praying? Who taught you to pray? (coughs) How have you had to relearn ways of praying because somebody taught you something so formulaic that it was, okay, now we pray I've had times, this is confession, doesn't mean I won't keep going to prayer meetings, but churches, <coughs> excuse me, can struggle with this, where you have a prayer meeting and, you know, we think church is, is kind of struggling to get people to attend church these days. Prayer meetings, much more so. Like, nobody goes to prayer meetings. It's like Claudia and a few others, and that's that, right? And sometimes you can have a prayer meeting <coughs> where you're more mindful. Like, right away, if I say, we're going to have a prayer meeting tomorrow night, do you feel slightly guilty that you already are trying to find a way to not go? And sometimes I've had that same experience where I've been walking up to church and I feel so caught up in prayer and I feel less prayerful in the prayer meeting. I understand that. That can happen. Excuse me, I have to try and fix this. (coughs) We'll see. There are some challenges in praying that some people would say you have to pray in this particular way or that some can seem to value prayer if it's louder. 
Oh, Lord! Did that feel more prayerful? Then... Silence? Or it's written? Allison, I think, I haven't talked to her about it, but I think she adapted a, probably a written prayer for how she opened in prayer today. And it was beautiful. That's a written out prayer, probably written long, many years ago. But did somebody say you had to do it in a certain way? Most prayer, almost all prayer, is this. Oh God, thank you God. Now just attach all of the kinds of things to it. Oh God, and or thank you God. Hear my cry. David prays in Psalm 13, which that song beautifully worked it out, because it carried for much of the song the, the, the tough tone of that psalm. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's so beautifully written. But then the song works because it gets to singing of God's unfailing love. You can see prayer like this. Thank you. Is that for me? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for getting yourself water. Um, I'm inviting you to be that kind of prayerful. There'll be times where it's formulaic, and there'll be times when we're sitting in a circle, and it's like, okay, does anybody have a prayer request? And you've got to do that. You've got to work through that. Because becoming prayerful means you will become more prayerful individually in your life and corporately with other people. It works together. Always. But to pray like this, if, if your prayer that day is, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And maybe on that day, I'm not feeling that way, so my faith can hold you up. If we are to know the future for Sutherland Church, which in God's economy, you know it's okay whatever happens, right? God is not anxious about this. But if we are to see, to discern, then we will pray and we will pray together. At times we can feel prayerless or that our prayers aren't heard, of course. At other times, and some here could recount this, I could, you become so overwhelmed in prayer that it feels like you're burning up. I can't keep praying because there won't be any of me left. This can be spiritually ecstatic type of feeling. And when you feel anything close to that, of course, it puts into perspective the challenges of your life. And then you've got to go back to them. <laughs> but in Christian faith, your humanity comes from God, from Jesus, the true human. The one true human. As humanity was intended to be. So we'll pray. And you can pray for your life, because I know no matter what I tell you or ask you to pray about, could we please pray for Sutherland Church that the number one thing you'll pray about are the concerns in your life? So do I. So pray for those concerns, and together we'll pray about how God is guiding us. It's not only answer me prayer. It's not only demanding. It's not 
only how can God fulfill this intercession or this request. St. Augustine said, and he had a, a, obviously a strong theology of prayer, but for Augustine, prayer was two things, mostly. Illuminative and transformative. In other words, prayer is not primarily about you getting things. It's not primarily about having this request answered, though that happens. First and foremost, it will illuminate you. It will open your eyes and your mind to, re- to the reality that you were blind to. And then it's transformative. It will change you. Why do you pray? I, I, I don't know that there's really an answer to that. How, how could you say, why do I pray? Because God because I don't know what it means to be alive without it. It's about seeing and being changed. Bart again. To clasp the hands in prayer. And I'm always interested that he's writing before and during and after, well, both World Wars, one and two. But he's at his most influential in and around World War II. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So I invite you to 100 days of prayer. It's not really a sermon, it's an ad. I, like, I want you to be more prayerful. Pray continually. And we're going to go through a sermon series where we look at different kinds of prayer, prayer of blessing. How am I going to be able to pray a prayer of blessing on someone else? And by the way, wherever I go as a minister... Even if it's places where it's mostly non-Christians, it's amazing how people are open to being blessed in prayer. Do you mind if I just pray a prayer of blessing over you right now? And it's very rare that someone will say, no. And actually, most of the time, people are grateful for it. Prayer of deliverance, a prayer of lament. You can imagine being in deep grief. And of course, in Christian faith, what would... I would ask myself, what would grief look like? What would lament be like if I wasn't in this connection in prayer with God? We can pray for our non-Christian friends who lament without that. That's astounding. My heart goes out to them. I don't need to oppose them in any way. I need to say, Heavenly Father, grief is hard enough for me and I have trust in you. I can't imagine so-and-so right now going through this. So if we can become more prayerful, maybe we can help other people who don't know Jesus Christ, don't know what Jesus has done for them, to be more prayerful as well. So as we turn to communion, I want to just end with another ad for, we have a lecture series coming up Carolyn Ahrens, who is a, was, still is a Christian musician. Um, but in the last number of years, this is ha- all these things happening in our culture. You can't make enough money doing music anymore, even when you're quite, you know, she's, she's toured all over the world. And, um, and other reasons, too, I would imagine. But she's still doing music, but she, now, she did an MDiv at Regents, Masters of Divinity, And she took over as someone who's responsible for curriculum for Richard Foster's organization, Renovare. 
And she's fantastic and a great speaker. And she's going to come here in November and do a little lecture series Friday night and Saturday. And ends with a dinner on Saturday. We call it re-musicking. Um, and here's why. And it's not about music. The word muse, you can go, go with that instead of music. You know what muse means? Inspiration. It's, it's a Holy Spirit word in Christian faith. When the slaves had moved from Egypt and were going to the promised land, but they weren't far from home yet, and they were still had Egypt in their minds. Actually, Egypt was in their minds way too much for most of the time, like it would be for you. And so, remember they got to the Red Sea, and they thought, we're done, we're doomed. And the chariots of Pharaoh were coming in behind them, and it was over. And remember that Red Sea parted, and they were delivered? Do you know what happened when they got to the other side of the water? They were re-musicked. In other words, potentially for hundreds of years, but for some long period of time, they had lost this inspiration, this muse, this music. The first thing that happens on the other side of the water is that they sing songs of praise. It meant something to me in my faith, but they, these things tend to be, mean more when they become personal. And so I've told you before about a time in my own life. I've always got a song in my head. Always. We were at Disneyland, you know, just over a week ago. So the songs were like, zip de dee doo da zip, like that. And you try to get those out. You know, yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Anyway, but there's always, a, almost always a song in my head. And when I, a number of years ago, was struggling in a time of depression over a period of months, I didn't think about it at the time, but I realized partway through I don't have any song in my head anymore. And I couldn't get a song in my head. I didn't, music just... And one day, as I was coming out of it, I suppose, I remember it was a Coldplay song. And I remember something that just happened. I just, I don't know, had a shower. You know, kind of things you get music in your head. And Afterwards, I thought, wait a minute, there's a song in my head there. I tell myself now, I think it was a different Coldplay song. I tell myself now that it was the song, um, You Are. I don't know if it's called You Are. It's called something else, isn't it? Anyway, it starts, it says, Lights go out and I can't be saved. Tides that I tried to swim against have brought me down upon my knees. Oh, I beg, I beg and plead. I guess that's a form of prayer. They are influenced in Christian faith, this band, though they're just a popular band. Lights go out and I can't be saved. Tides that I tried to swim against have brought me down upon my knees. Oh, I beg, I beg and plead. And then the chorus actually just says over and over again, you are, you are, you are. Which, there's no explanation in, in, in terms of Christian faith to it. But when I hear the song, and I hear you are, and he's just belting it out. I can't do it here because you'll just laugh at me. But he's singing, you are. He's just singing it over and over again. What's you are in Christian faith? It's the answer to I am. It's prayer. All my prayer. You are. My eyes off myself to the God who loves us all. So here's what 
like you to do as we take communion. We remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he has given his life for the life of the world, and that he has invited us into this salvation, this relationship between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is prayerfulness. And we take this bread and this cup to remember our own sinfulness, our false self, This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. And each time you take it, you're declaring your trust in Him. We say you're welcome to take it if you know Jesus Christ or if you would like to. So we'll take communion after I pray. And then after that, we'll also have um, Marg and Mal can come around again and collect those 100 days things. If you haven't filled one out yet, we've got some pens here if you need one. But I want... Honestly, everybody here. Of course, yeah, you know what I'm going to do? Later on when I get them and I'm going to look, okay, you're here, you're here, you're here. I'm going to go, why didn't they put one in? And I'll judge you nicely. But we should all be filling these up. We're not signing up for a thing that takes a ton of time. If you have to wrestle later on as as you hopefully get into a, a group of three and you think I can't commit to any more time, We'll work with you, whatever. But we should all be saying, yep. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come before you. And I do feel a sense of confession, not necessarily because I feel terrible about myself, but because, Lord God, my prayerlessness happens often And uh, it can happen because I take for granted your goodness. That you won't cast me aside even if I'm prayerless. And so, so often I get enamored by things of self or this world. And I fail to see that my true life and humanity comes from you. But I also want to thank you because I, by your grace, have known and I hope to continue to know. I'm, I, uh, I anticipate this positively, to continue to know that true life comes from you. And I thank you for that. Would you make us all mindful of that and help us and teach us to pray? Bless this time of communion as we share it together, passing the bread and the cup, one to another, declaring our trust in Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.